You are listening to the My Victory Podcast. Well, hello, My Victory Church. Happy Easter to all of our campuses. Let's wish Tabor happy Easter with Pastor Renee and Jill. Happy Easter to you guys. Happy Easter to Claire's home, Pastor Brian and Heidi. Happy Easter to Okotoks with Pastor Joel and Tanisha. Welcome to you guys. Happy Easter to Lloyd Minster with Pastor Mike and Kara. Happy Easter, Lethbridge, with Pastor Ralph and Cindy, and all of you joining us online, wherever you are around the world, happy Easter to all of you. How, how many of you have ever uh, are familiar with Shakespeare's plays, Julius Caesar, or the other one, Antony and Cleopatra? You, you familiar with these ones? Yes? No, yeah, I, um, okay, help me out here. Okay. <laughs> so with, uh, it's, it's fascinating about these two plays in particular is a historical figure who played a central role in both accounts. And, and his name is Octavian. Anybody remember him? No, okay. Well, trust me, you might have to go back and watch or listen to the plays or read the plays again. His name is Octavian, who later had his name changed to Augustus. And he served as the emperor of Rome from 31 BC to uh, 14 AD. And he stepped into a power vacuum uh, after Cassius and Brutus assassinated Julius Caesar in 44 BC. What's fascinating about Shakespeare is that he would take history and turn them into into, into plays and teach people through that. So when, when Brutus, you guys remember this part, right? Brutus killed Julius Caesar, 44 BC. He teamed up with, uh, uh, Augustus teamed up with Mark Antony, uh, Caesar's chief lieutenant and Lepidus, the governor of Spain and Gaul, and this is a true story, after defeating Brutus and Cassius, they took control of Rome and gradually won the support of Rome's ruling class. They also defeated the armies in the Balkans and Syria, still loyal to Brutus and, and to Cassius. And, and then, after all this was, was established, then Octavian moved against Antony because Antony had an affair with the Egyptian Cleopatra. And, and Augustus, or Octavian, saw this as a threat to Rome's dominance and, and, and to the whole, you know, dominance of the Mediterranean world. So in 31 BC, uh, he defeated Antony at the naval battle of uh, Actium. You guys didn't know this was going to be a history lesson, did you? It's fascinating. All right. So at the naval battle of Actium in, in 31 BC and distinguished Egypt as an independent empire and kind of engulfed it with, with Rome. He also marginalized Lepidus. Now, if you, have, if you know history at all, Roman history in particular, Rome was typically, the entire uh, empire was typically broken up to at least two or three, a lot of times, three major empires in one. And, and Octavian, or Augustus, when he, he conquered Antony and then Lepidus, he became one of the, the, the sole ruler of the empire until his death into, in, in A.D. 14. And he became the most accomplished, powerful emperor in Rome's history. And he was given the name Caesar Augustus. 
He was heralded as a god. In fact, Augustus, they called him Augustus because they said he was the son of the gods. The famous Priene inscription illustrates this. It, it says this of Augustus. He's a man of virtue, became a savior, that's the word they used, for, for the Romans, secured peace, and surpassed all in accomplishments. And it was proposed that the new year begin with his nativity, when, when his birthday, which is September 23rd. And because this is the birthday of a god, they said this would become the new year. One year later, the Senate decided instead to change the, the month of Sextilis uh, and, it sh and renamed it August. We know that now, right? <laughs> Augustus became a constant in the annual calendar. What's amazing is in this time, and this, these dates, 31 BC to 1480 when he, when he ruled, he was known and heralded as the savior, the son of the gods. And yet, in the story of Jesus's birth, he's just a footnote. Look at this in Luke chapter two, verse one. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census would be taken in the entire Roman world. It was under Augustus's reign that another son of God was born. And Luke, Dr. Luke mentioned Augustus only in passing as if to relegate his reign to a mere historical footnote. His reign provided background information, if you will, to the more important story. Which, in those days, if we think that's controversial in any way now, in those days, this would have been highly controversial. Because there's a big difference. Augustus, he was called the son of the gods because he accomplished what no other Roman emperor had ever accomplished. He was more powerful than any Roman emperor ever, ever was, ever would be after. The truth is, Augustus excelled in greatness, and Jesus lived in obscurity. Augustus wielded absolute military and political power. Jesus only attracted a, a small following of common people. Augustus ruled an empire. Jesus saw even his closest friends abandon him when he was arrested and killed. The small movement that, that Jesus started was left in shambles when he died. And I, could, I can't even imagine what his followers would have been thinking when they watched their Messiah, whom they all confessed he was the Messiah, when they watched their son of God, hanging there, dying on a cross, a Roman cross. How could this man ever be considered a rival to the greatness of Augustus? Our only source of information 
really comes from eyewitness accounts of Jesus' followers and friends of what happened that Easter, the details of it, what happened that Easter weekend. They said this, being arrested and, and, and persecuted under this, they were told to stop talking about Jesus as the Son of God. They were told to stop you know, preaching about, about him rising again from the dead. And this is what they said. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. The writers of the Gospels claim to derive their accounts from being eyewitnesses of events that none of them could have ever imagined, namely the death and resurrection of Jesus. According to their testimony, the story demanded not only a hearing, but absolute commitment. Proclaiming it as good news. That's, they called it the gospel, which is translated means good news to the entire world. They claimed that the Jesus they knew and followed was truly the Son of God, not Augustus, Jesus, and that he was Savior of a world. Now, think about this for a moment. They were telling stories about events that they understood one way when experiencing them firsthand and another way when looking back on them. Let me just explain what I'm, I'm meaning. Before Jesus died, we can see Peter and, and other disciples proclaiming, you're the Messiah, you're the one. And they believed because they saw amazing things that Jesus did. I mean, think about it. How did, how did his followers understand Jesus during his earthly life and, and what caused them to change their mind and behaviors later? See, when Jesus lived, they, be, they believed that he was a miracle worker. And they were right to call him a miracle worker. But he seemed to be so much more. He was called a teacher. And they were right to call him a teacher. But he seemed to be so much more. He was called a prophet. And they were right to call him a prophet. But again, he seemed to be so much more. Eventually, they called him Messiah, the promised one, the one that they had grown up hearing since little children and their parents had heard and their grandparents had heard. And they were right to call him Messiah. But listen, they had preconceived ideas of what that meant. And then... It all unraveled, at least in their minds. And within a matter of hours, their Messiah was captured, beaten, and crucified. And the one they hoped was the Messiah had failed. At least that's how it looked on Friday. There had been mis failed Messiahs in the past, and there would probably be others in the future. But a failed Messiah is a contradiction. It was no Messiah at all. And at this point, if his death had been the end of the story, 
as they assumed it was a Friday afternoon, then Jesus would have become a footnote in history rather than Augustus. But that's not how the story ended. At least according to his disciples, who claimed that this Messiah, crucified under Pontius Pilate during the reign of Tiberius Caesar, was raised from the dead. Not resuscitated, only to die again later, but resurrected from death to life. And however offensive to modern, our modern sensibilities, and, and let's just be honest, ancient sensibilities too, the disciples believed and proclaimed it because they claimed to have met the risen Jesus. And one of the most powerful verses after Jesus rose again from the dead is in John 20, verse 28, where Thomas, remember doubting Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples, he met Jesus he didn't believe that Jesus could really rise again from the dead. All the other disciples said, we've seen him, we've seen him. And he says, I doubt it. Just kidding. <laughs> he, he, he doubted. He's called Doubting Thomas. But yet when he met Jesus, this is, his, this is his words. He said this, my Lord and my God. The reason why this is so powerful is because this one event, the resurrection of Jesus, suddenly Thomas, who looked at everything that happened in, in real time, in, I mean, think about this being in their time, they saw everything fall apart. They believed in Jesus. They were following Jesus. They gave three years of their life to him. They saw the miracles. They heard him prophesy. They heard him speak things that no one else has ever spoken before. They heard him teach with a wisdom no one had ever heard before. And at the end, they proclaimed he's Messiah. But when Thomas saw him alive again, he said, my Lord and my God. The truth is, Thomas spoke for everyone. The resurrection forced the disciples to revisit and reconsider their entire experience with Jesus, including his death. It wasn't odd for someone to be crucified. That was actually quite common. Jesus was crucified beside two others, and there was probably hundreds of others down the road that were crucified in the same day. That wasn't what stood out. But even after Jesus rose again from the dead. They revisited, and we see this all throughout their writings and the letters that they wrote to all the, the early followers of Jesus called the early church. We see all of this, and they, they described in detail everything that happened in his death, and they pointed to a purpose. Peter would say, by his stripes, we were healed talking about the whipping that Jesus would, would take and the brutal, they said, by his stripes, that counted, that we get physical healing from that. He bore all sickness and infirmities on the cross. I mean, they would talk about in, in detail, and they didn't think this when they saw him hanging there. But when he rose again from the dead, everything 
changed. Interesting, if you think about that, because don't you and I do the same thing, that in, in the middle of circumstances, don't, don't we interpret something one way? And then have you ever been in the middle of something one way and it seems extraordinary? Where's God? What's he doing? Like, what, what? I don't understand. And he left me. He abandoned me. And then suddenly after, you get a revelation and go, oh, that's what he was doing. Get an understanding. Well, multiply that by thousands as to what the disciples had interpreted while walking and living with Jesus to what happened after. And that Thomas proclaiming, my Lord, and not even just Messiah, my Lord, my God. They saw his death no longer as defeat, but as victory, not the end of the story, but as a key turning point in the story. They became witness to Jesus' sacrificial death and glorious resurrection. And Jesus was not a martyr, as they once thought. He was the Savior. And I think about this. The disciples, when Jesus was arrested, who scattered in fear, suddenly, after he resurrected, Something in them completely changed. Look at this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said this to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and the Samaria and to the ends of the earth. A group of men who once scattered upon the arrest of their friend Jesus, now scattered to the ends of the earth to announce that Jesus was their Lord and their God. And that he had visited earth to redeem all people. Their experience of the resurrection allowed for no other response. It transformed their lives and they believed would transform the entire course of history. Jesus, the son of God. Simon Greenleaf is known as one of the greatest trial lawyers in American history. And he said, he argued from a lawyer's perspective to the determination of the resurrection of Jesus and his belief in the resurrection of Jesus, that he said there's enough proof just in the change in the disciples to say Jesus must have rose again from the dead. Just think about it. Peter denied Jesus to a servant girl three times before his resurrection. And afterwards would preach the very first message under threat, be arrested. And Peter was the one who said, I cannot stop preaching this because of what I have seen and heard. This is what Simon Greenleaf said. He said, it was therefore impossible that they, talking about the disciples, could have persisted in affirming the truths they have narrated had not Jesus actually risen from the dead. And had they not known this fact as certainly as they knew any other fact. In fact, they would all give their lives, with the exception of John, who went through his own persecution, but they would all give their lives proclaiming 
to their death that Jesus rose again from the dead and that he was God. He was the son of God, not Augustus. Peter would go on to say this. Praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again. Our Lord, what Thomas said. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the, the entire message. Paul, who wasn't one of the disciples, but would be trained by Peter and, and John. He would go on to say in 1 Corinthians 15 that the resurrection is the foundation of the, of the Christian faith. That this weekend, what we're celebrating, this is the foundation of it all. And he would, go, he would be as brazen as saying, if Jesus did not really rise again from the dead, then Christianity is useless. And you're wasting your lives. Believing it. But if Jesus did rise again from the dead, and these guys, including Paul, would die believing this, then he says it's true. And we have a living hope. Think about a living hope. Not, not a one-time hope, a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus. Think about this. Jesus did not revisit revenge on his enemies, invade Rome with an army of angels, assume the throne of an earthly kingdom. See, this is all what the Jewish people believed the Messiah was going to do. They thought pre-crucifixion, including his disciples, that Jesus was going to visit revenge on Rome, invade Rome with an army, assume the throne and recruit the best and the brightest to do his bidding and conquer the world. He didn't do that. Instead, he commissioned his disciples, most of them ordinary people, to proclaim the gospel, follow his example of service and sacrifice, and invite all people, both near and far, insider and outsider, into the kingdom of God. Here's today's takeaway. Is most people missed the Messiah because they were looking for a superhero. Instead, they got a savior. What do I mean by that? Augustus was called a God in his day because of what he did for people. But he became a footnote in the story of Jesus. Jesus is God still because of what he does in people. And I want to challenge you. Sometimes, as human beings, most times we look at at the hand of God and we look for what he's going to do for us and we'll believe God if we see him be the superhero and deliver us from all trouble and we'll never have trials and God's going to answer every prayer and God's going to do all these things on my behalf and when he doesn't where's God? We're going to start a series called Resilience and this is really a, a discovery into the fact that we can't miss 
our Messiah, our Savior, the Son of God, because we're looking for a superhero. We're looking for a God who will only do. Instead, Jesus became our Savior. Don't miss salvation because you're just looking for deliverance. Watch what God will do in you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you, Jesus, for coming, leaving heaven to come as a human, to live among us, to serve and be a great example in your life and ministry for all of us to follow. And thank you most of all for sacrificing yourself for us. And as confusing as that must have been for all of those who expected something different, God, I thank you. I thank you, Jesus, for following through. Even when we see in your prayer in the garden, you didn't want to, yet you did. Because you would rather go to hell on our behalf than go to heaven without us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on our My Victory podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out at myvictory.ca. If you'd like to watch our live stream, go to victorylethbridge.tv.